Friends, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Uh, Today we're finishing our series called Five on Five, where we are looking at five lessons each on the first five books of the Bible. Um, So we've invested 25 weeks in this series, uh, whose purpose, which purpose was to um, just expose you uh, to books that we believe are often... um, neglected and unpreached, although they are the Word of God. And, and I hope that uh, over the last 25 weeks, we were able to see really the truth that all Scripture is God-breathed and all Scripture is profitable uh, for the good of those who read and receive it. Uh, so we praise God for uh, this series, but looking forward over the next several months, we're going to begin a new series next week uh, on the book of Second Corinthians that we're calling Grace for the Week, um, which is a book about uh, weakness in God's grace and power and how it meets us. And so you're encouraged this week to begin reading through Second Corinthians just to sort of get uh, used to it as we'll spend and camp out the next several months there. Uh, but we're wrapping up the current series today. Our sermon is entitled A Lesson in Human Flourishing. And so I invite you, if you are able, to stand with me, standing as an act of worship as we read God's word and we receive God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 20. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live, lo- live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. Dear friends, would you pray with me once more? Father, we pray your blessing upon um, this very important part of our service uh, where we now hear from you. Um, We thank you that uh, you are a God who speaks and in speaking, uh, make us into a people who hear and in hearing, make us a people uh, who are transformed because uh, the voice of our creator, the voice of our redeemer and the voice of our father uh, comes to us and stirs us in such a way where obedience and response is the natural uh, overflow. So bless our time now. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this morning by asking a simple question, uh, which is this. uh, What is the key to flourishing in life? What is the secret to thriving and abounding rather than uh, shriveling and withering? It's an important question for all of us to ask. Uh, It's a question that maybe you've been asking. As you try to uh, find the secret to this, I mean, where do you look? 
sometimes we look inside and, and we find um, and we believe that, that we'll find it in our self-discovery. Maybe we'll uncover some hidden potential in us that will unleash uh, great uh, flourishing in our lives. Or, or maybe we think if we can just free ourselves of limitations and restrictions, if we could just cast off things that weigh us down or keep us down, then we'll flourish. Well, the Bible has an answer, and it's very uh, counterintuitive to uh, what we may think and what the world teaches. And it's essentially, it's this, that the key to flourishing is not about being released from the wrong things, but the key to flourishing is actually being anchored and tethered to the right things. I mean, simply think about it like a kite. When is a kite most uh, gloriously in its element? It's when the kite is in the air. It's when it's soaring, and it's when it's rising higher and higher. But that only happens to the degree that it's attached to a string, to a reel, to somebody who's on the ground holding it down. If that kite were to flourish, you wouldn't cut the string. Because if you cut the string, the kite would fall to the ground. And it would still be a kite, but it wouldn't be a thriving kite. And I share that because much in the same way that a kite flourishes when it's actually connected to a string and a reel, so to our lives, most flourish when we're tethered to the right things. In fact, when we're tethered to the right person. So as we kind of think about this, I ask you this morning, do you find yourself thriving in life? Do you find yourself flourishing? You know, I think that many of us uh, coming out of the turmoil of the past few years uh, may find yourself um, in, a, in a strange situation where uh, many of the routines of life have returned back to normal. Uh, life as you know it seems to be uh, almost similar to how it was before the pandemic, and yet we can't shake the feeling that something is not quite right, uh, that something is off. And the reality is that as people made by God, we should be thriving, but we find ourselves uh, simply surviving. The professor, author, and psychologist based out of UPenn, uh, Adam Grant, wrote an article in 2021. It was the most uh, read article uh, on the New York, in the New York Times. And uh, basically, he describes this phenomenon. He calls it languishing. He says, languishing is this feeling. It's not quite depression. It's not quite burnout. But it's this perpetual feeling that you're stuck, that you're, that the, that you're in a fog, that you're in a funk, you're in a holding pattern. Uh, and maybe this describes your life that things are happening in life. There were big, momentous occasions. Changes are taking place. There are new things happening, and yet you find yourself merely surviving through it all rather than thriving and flourishing. The question is, does the ancient wisdom of the scriptures have anything to say to us? The answer, of course, is yes. Because the Bible, although it may not speak to our exact situation in 2022, does speak to the human heart. In our passage this morning, Moses, in essence, says this, if you choose God, you're choosing to have life and experience it to the full. If you choose God, you will flourish and you will thrive. But then he warns you, if you choose anything less than God, anything other than God, it'll be an experience of death, of frustration, of languishing. Now, remember the context of Deuteronomy. Moses and the Israelites are right on the cusp of entering the promised land. Except very sadly, Moses as their spiritual leader won't be able to cross over with them. And so as he gets ready to send them off, Deuteronomy is sort of his farewell address. It's like a, a father speaking to his child or to his children as they get ready to embark on life on their own. I mean, sort of uh, the, the way that you can think about it is, uh, 
A child who is leaving home for the first time, they're moving to a different city, they're moving across country. And the parent is now at the airport and they're sending their kid off, except they can't get past the TSA security line. They're at the security barrier and as their child is you know, heading toward the gate, the parent is shouting their last minute encouragements and last minute warnings, their encouragements, you know, make sure to eat, make sure to be safe, make sure to call. And then also giving the warnings, don't forget to go to church, don't forget to pray. Don't forget, you shouldn't sleep, you know, with a fan on <laughs> near you. <laughs> Encouragements, warnings. Deuteronomy 30 is about Moses encouraging Israel to do what's best and warning them against that which would hurt them. Because he actually remembers what life was like in Egypt. He remembers when Israel was under uh, a joyless oppression. And for 400 years, they were merely just surviving in this state. And he knows the new land, the promised land has new opportunity to flourish. And so he holds before them two options. In verse 15, he says, See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. Life and good, death and evil. Now, just to be clear, this is not like uh, one of those Monty Python movies where there's sort of a bridge and if you choose life, then you will cross over and, and be free. But if you choose you know, the wrong choice, then, then the bridge will collapse and you'll die. What Moses is saying here is not simply that you will physically live the moment you choose life and you will physically die the moment you choose death. But he says in verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death. And then he explains what life and death is, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. So to choose life certainly is to choose uh, longevity of life. You will live long. But he's saying to choose life is also to choose a quality of life. You, live, you will live well. The quality of life will be flourishing will be freedom. It'll be a future. Your children will have offspring and they will be blessed. But on the other hand, to choose death is not instant death. To choose death is to, to live under a curse, to live under futility, to live under frustration, to live under conflict, to live under chaos. This morning, this word comes to us and it confronts us. It confronts you right where you are. And it says, this day, what will you choose? Life and good? or death and evil? Do you this day want to experience the fullness of life with God or the frustration and futility of life without him? So we're trying to answer this question. What is the key to flourishing? And this passage gives us two things that I want to take a look at with you. Number one, you flourish when you have God's word. You flourish when you have God's word. Verse 11 begins like this. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. Moses is saying the commands of God, they're not impossible for you to do, and they're not impossible for you to understand. And then he gives uh, some images, verses 12 and 13. It is not in heaven. So it's not so high up that you have to ascend and find it. And then he says, neither is it beyond the sea. It's not so far away that you can't reach it and access it. It's not too high up. It's not too far away. Verse 14 but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. 
Well, God is saying that his word comes to you and it doesn't need to be discovered or deciphered, that it's not hidden in the heavens or scattered across the sea, that his word that he's revealed, he's brought it to you and near to you. It's accessible. It's clear. When you read and have God's word, you know what it says and you can know what it means. But he says the word is not only near you, he says the word is in your mouth, meaning that you can read it and speak it. And the word is in your heart, meaning that you can hear it and meditate on it. Moses' point is this, the God that we have does not speak to us in hidden riddles and obscure puzzles so that we might discover him hidden in the esoteric meanings of the word. No, no, what it's saying, God has revealed himself in his word. He's revealed who he is. He's revealed his heart. He's revealed his plans. He's revealed his purposes. That the God we have is not a silent God and he doesn't keep his people in the dark. Which means to us today, those who have God's word, who have it and open it, we hear God speak. We can hear the voice of our creator and we can know the love of our redeemer and we can sense the heart of our father. Which should mean everything to us than the midst of a disorienting reality and the ups and downs of life that we can have security in God's word and serenity from God's word and safety that comes from God's word that he has drawn near, he has spoken. There's great hope in that. Now I'm reading a book by Andy Weir called The Martian. Uh, some of you may be familiar with that. It was a movie, Matt Damon is in it. Uh, it's a fascinating book. And uh, the basic premise is that um, there's an astronaut who... Uh, is stranded on Mars because there was an accident, the communication system was down, people thought he was dead, his crew left. And so here he is stranded, he's the only person on this planet. He's not only uh, you know, trying to survive, uh, but he's fighting this immense loneliness of the fact that the next person closest to him is 82 million miles away. Now, uh, he's a mechanical engineer uh, and the botanist. He's a botanist, so he raises potatoes to stay alive. Uh, but he's a mechanical engineer, so he finds this old uh, probe, he fixes it up, and he's able to send a signal back to Earth. And he doesn't know if Earth has received it or not. Uh, but then one day he notices that the antenna of the probe has moved. And he understands that that's Earth's way of communicating with him. By the antenna moving, that means Earth has received his uh, signal. Earth knows he's alive. He knows he's not alone. And so when he receives this communication, just the smallest little glimpse of it, a, a little antenna moving, this signals such incredible hope that he drops to the floor the dirt where his potatoes are growing and he begins to weep. It's a really powerful part of the book. And I just share it because it, it really captures our spiritual experience. From a distance even greater than 82 million miles away. God has crossed the infinite chasm that we could never cross from heaven to earth, and he's communicated with us. The God of the universe speaks to us, not through probes and beeps and signals, but through his word. And he says, I know you, I see you, I know the pain, the struggles, the fears, the tears, the longings and aches that fill your heart. God's word speaks to us and lets us know who he is. And as John Calvin said, we can only know who we are when we first know who God is. But not only do we know who we are in light of who God is, 
Because God has revealed his purposes and his plans, we now know our place, our place in the world, our place in the universe. God has revealed that to you. You don't need to spend your life searching and forging and fashioning and finding meaning and making things have meaning. And so many of us live our lives. We're trying to ascend the heavens or cross the seas in order to find the answers to these big, large, looming questions. What is my identity? Why am I here? What's my purpose? What significance do I have? And to live life that way, it's extremely uh, draining and tiring and exhausting. We do this, don't we? I mean, why do people throw themselves into their career so much and, and work so hard to, to advance in, in, in uh, promotions and in their positions? Because they're hoping, they're looking, they're striving after finding some way of validating them. Am I important? Why do some parents invest so much into their kids where they really turn their kids into to idols and make them the center of their lives? Well, sometimes it's because I, I need to live for something bigger than myself. I don't want to be selfish. I want to live for some, somebody else. And, and, and so you put your meaning and your, your purpose around your children and their success and their health and their happiness. Why do some of you are, are so discontent with your singleness and your longing and striving and chasing after romance and you desperately want to be known and loved? You don't want to feel alone in the universe. You want to know that your existence matters to somebody. The list can go on and on and on, but the point is that all of us are searching and we're seeking after answers to your heart's most longing questions, your, your deepest aches. And as you're searching and you're seeking, you will never flourish. But to have God's word is to have the answers to the questions that matter most in life. Who am I? You don't find it in your career. You don't find it in your popularity. You don't find it in how many initials you have after your name. You find it in knowing who God is. What is my place and purpose here on this earth? You don't find it in what you do, the significance of how many people your actions affect, the influence you have. No, you find it in understanding God's plan and purpose in the world and how you fit into that. So to have God's word is actually how you flourish because that actually answers the questions that you are asking. And that's why the psalmist beautifully says, the blessed man, the happy man, someone he finds his delight in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. And then look at, listen to the description. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all he does he prospers. This is the description of a man whose life is flourishing, a man whose life is grounded and founded upon the word because it's as he knows who God is that then he knows who he is. It's as he knows what God's plans for the world are that he understands his place in it. And the same is true for you. Do you find yourself languishing? You're not thriving like you want to. Well, dear friends, how near are you to the word? Because the sad reality is that the word is near to us, but we are far from the word. The sad reality is that in the word, God has disclosed himself to you, but then you close yourself off from him. And inside you wither. But you flourish when what? When, when the truths of God's word become your reality. You wither when you live as a slave to sin. But you flourish when you live as a child of God. 
You wither when, when your steps are directed by your own plans, but you flourish when your steps are directed by the hands of God. You, you wither when you're reliant on your own knowledge and understanding, but you flourish when you know wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. The word that comes to us, it brings clarity into our lives that allows us to flourish because we know who God is, and thus we know who we are. We know God's plans and purposes in the world, and thus we know our place. You flourish when you have God's word. Here's the second thing. You flourish when you obey God's word. Look at verse 14 again. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. For what purpose? So that you can do it. Moses is talking about obedience here. He's saying that you receive God's word and then you respond to God's word. Now, unfortunately, the word obedience Obedience has uh, become such a, a bad word amongst Christians, uh, particularly those who grew up in legalistic workspace uh, cultures and churches and, and that type of Christianity hear the word obedience and they feel uh, that it means obligation. That's how they hear it. And so those who receive the gospel of grace say, you know, if you truly believe in the gospel, then you shouldn't be obligated to do anything. You shouldn't have to. You should just want to. It should just flow out of you. But, but ironically, the gospel of grace doesn't turn obedience into a bad word. The gospel of grace redeems obedience to the good word it was always meant to be. Obedience is a good word, friends. The, the gospel restores obedience, not just the Christian vocabulary. Just, it restores it to the Christian life, the Christian practice. Because what the gospel does is it takes obedience and it turns it from obligation into opportunity. That I'm no longer obligated, but now I have the opportunity to love God, to serve God. And, and that's the dynamic the gospel creates in your heart. You see, when, when, when two people are dating and uh, one person, you know, makes it clear, these are the things I like, these are things I, I don't like, these are the things that, you know, would make me happy, um, even if you don't want to do those things, you do them anyway. Why? You want to impress them. You, know, you want to win their affections. You want to, uh, you know, have them conclude that you are a worthy, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend that they should keep around. And so you do what they want. But then you get married. Do you stop doing those things? Do you think to yourself, well, I no longer need to impress them? You know, I mean, I gave them a ring. <laughs> what more do they, do they want from me? I, I've won their affections already. I have their commitment. What good will serving them do to me? And I hope that's not how any of you feel. Because if you actually discover the, the way the dynamic of love works is that uh, you don't actually do less for the person, you do more for them. Because as love for the person increases, the sacrifices to, for them become opportunities. You, you once served somebody to earn their love, but now you serve them to express your love. And that's the dynamic of the gospel. That, that's the way it works in our hearts. When you don't understand God loves you in Jesus, when you don't understand how much he cares for you, then obedience to him is an obligation. I obey to earn God's love. I obey to gain standing before God. I obey to receive favor and acceptance from him. Oh, this is so much work. Obedience is obligation. But when you understand God loved you, even when you were a sinner, that God loved you and sent Jesus for you to die for you, even when you were still in sin, then, all, then obedience 
doesn't rise out of obligation, but out of opportunity. You don't just stop obeying. You stop obeying to earn. You start obeying. You start obeying to express gratitude, thanksgiving. And you actually discover that in your obedience, living according to his commands, living according to his rules, it's actually when life makes most sense. When is, when is life least complicated? It's when I'm living as the Lord desires. It's when I'm being obedient because it's actually in obedience that you are, you are most being who you were called to be, who you were made to be. Because, you know, God is not only the author of life, he's the director. You do best when you receive your cues from him. This is how you flourish. This is why God promises in verse 16, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you. You will thrive. You will flourish. Rebellion, refusal to submit to God is so much against the design of the way we were created that we wither when we walk in our own ways. But it would only make sense that we prosper and flourish most when we keep God's law because as our creator, he has written the operating manual for our lives. I know that I boast often about uh, the money tree that we have uh, in our home. Let me do it once more. I received a money tree from uh, two of our congregants at the beginning of COVID. uh, And and I boast in it because uh, it is the most healthiest, thriving, flourishing plant we have in our home. And it wasn't always that way. Um, You see, a a few years ago, uh, almost seven years ago now, when I first came to the church, the elders and their wives uh, visited uh, my apartment and they gifted me a plant. Um, I was very thankful for it. I'd never owned a plant. Um, And I set a record. I managed to kill it in uh, just a few short days. Um, But it wasn't mysterious. I didn't scratch my head saying, how did this plant die? I mean, it was was neglect. Um, I didn't water it. I uh, didn't put it in the sun. It was in a dark corner that I had, you know, forgotten about. And in a a few days, maybe a week, uh, it had shriveled up and died. So when I got this money tree, right, it was like a chance of redemption. And I was determined to keep it alive. And so I watered it regularly. Every few days, I left it right out in the sun, the brightest part of my apartment, right out in front of the window. I was determined that this plant would flourish. But to my dismay, despite all of my attention, after a few weeks, the the leaves started uh, wilting and it began to look really unhealthy. Um, And I did what I probably should have done from the very beginning. I looked it up on the internet. How do you take care of a money tree? And I realized that, you know, Plants, different plants require different care, different routines. Uh, Money tree, if you don't know, you shouldn't water them every few days. You should water them every few weeks. Uh, Money trees, if you know, don't love direct sunlight. They do well in heat, but kind of you have to position them a little off of it. It actually hurts more than helps. And it was only in understanding the design of this plant, how this plant thrives, how this plant flourishes, and then making the changes that now, today, this plant is the most green and glorious plant we have in our home. I'm so proud of it. If you come over, it's the only plant that sits on a plant stand, uh, lording it over. All the other plants are around this, sort of bowing down uh, to how much it's flourished and thrived. And all because you treat it according to its design. 
Human beings were designed by God, but only designed to flourish under the conditions that he's determined for us. And those conditions are revealed in the commands and the rules and the statutes. These aren't arbitrary, foreign, alien laws that God has put over you to restrict you and limit you and choke life out of you, but for you to grow. Disobedience then invites death and curse because it's an assumption and an insistence that I know better than God and that my ways are better than his ways. Dear friends, are you flourishing in life? Really think about that. Are you thriving in life? And in the areas where you know that there is a wilting of this and a dying of that, let me challenge you. You know, are there areas that you're not offering to the Lord in, in obedience, that you're still insisting that, that in, this, in, in this area, in this way, my way is still better and more right than the Lord's. Are there things that God is saying, this is important, and you're saying, well, it's not that important, and God's saying, that's not important. You're saying, no, that is my life. The reality is every one of us in here, we struggle. We struggle with exactly that, those areas of disobedience we have. It's not, it's not a surprise that any of us experience frustrations in life. And because we're all guilty of this, it, it's the common theme of humanity. But there was one exception. One man who was perfectly obedient in every way, in every circumstance. One man who came and every single time chose life and good and blessing. And yet, the end of his life, despite choosing life, good, blessing, and obedience, he didn't flourish and thrive as he should have, but his life ended in death and evil and curse. I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one who came and lived a life of full obedience and yet received our curse so that we could flourish eternally because of him. You see, whereas his life is full and marked with obedience, our stories are marked with disobedience, turning away. We're told to choose life and good, but how many times in our sinful, foolish hearts do we choose the path of death? We're not coerced. Left to our own, of our own volition and accord, we choose death again and again and again. God has brought his word near to us, but we run so far away from it. God has given us a law to help us grow, but we break it a million times over and over again. And although we deserve the ultimate curse, God in his love sent Jesus, the only obedient one, to take your death, to receive your curse, so that by him taking your cross, you might share in his crown. Through faith in him, the life, the good, the blessings, that he deserved are now yours. You and I would never choose life for ourselves. God knew that. And so he actually says here in Deuteronomy 30 that his word is very near us. Verse 14 says, the word is near. And that was a foreshadowing of Jesus, the word made flesh come to be with us. He knew that you would never reach the word, so the word came to you. And Paul, Apostle Paul in Romans 10, picks up on this, quoting Deuteronomy 30, and this is what he writes. But what does it say? 
the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The word of faith, the gospel proclaimed, Jesus Christ come to you. And the Lord says that if you confess with your mouth who Jesus is, you believe in your heart what he's done for you, salvation, eternal flourishing is yours because Jesus endured the ultimate spiritual languishing in your place. And what Christ has earned for you, you can now experience that flourishing now because he's drawn near. Do you want to thrive? Do you want to grow? you want to flourish? Flourish, you know. Confess with your mouth. Believe in him with your heart. As Deuteronomy instructs, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. Dear friends, this morning you have a choice. The same one Moses held before Israel, I hold before you today. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Which will you choose? Because to choose life and good is to choose Christ, to hear him in his word, to respond in obedience. And when you do, you'll find life makes a whole lot more sense to live according to his will and not your own. Let's pray.